Good morning. My name is Jay Rosenthal. I'm the co-founder and president of the Business of Cannabis. This is BFC Live for Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020. This and all other BFC Lives are available on our website at businessofcannabis.ca, as well as wherever you find your podcasts. Coming up, our weekly insights conversation with Liz Tahura of BDSA, our official insights partner at Business of Cannabis. Here's what we are up to at Business of Cannabis for the remainder of the week. Tomorrow in your newsletter, you will find the job of the week presented by Cannabis at Work. And uh, Thursday as well on Business of uh, BFC Live, Imran Khan of Detonate Cannabis will talk about the new business he launched, One to One. It is a platform connecting retailers and brands. Friday, Charles Vinay, the new CEO of 48 North will be on the porch for a conversation and upcoming events uh, next week, July 29th, we will have a cannabis forward network and education event called can BC lead cannabis in Canada. Again, it's presented by Robic and it will be sort of a hybrid event because our friends at council 45 in Vancouver will be hosting August 7th, which is a Friday. There will be a lunch and learn on the topic. So you want to open a cannabis retail store. There'll be a presentation from Candelta. They will also take questions. So be sure to register for that. August 27th at the end of next month, uh, co-produced by Diversity Talks, we will have a event through our Cannabis Forward Education Networking Platform called Social Equity in Practice. We encourage you to tune into that as well. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. As always, all of our information is on businessofcannabis.ca. We want to thank our ongoing partners, Cannabis at Work, Cannabis Benchmarks, BDSA, Can Delta, and Alcit. Now enjoy this conversation with Liz Tahura of BDSA. Enjoy your day. Liz Tahura, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, Jay. And if it's Wednesday, we are going to be talking about BDSA insights because you guys have all the interesting stuff that we all want to know um, about consumer behavior, consumer trends, where the world is, where the world you think is going. What are we going to be talking about today? Today, we are going to take a little look at the interaction between alcohol and cannabis. Uh, These are a few of my favorite things. Yeah, so you and me both. <laughs> so that's exactly what we'll talk about. Um, Good. Some of the opportunities and threats for, for sharing and substitutions and kind of where that, where that sits and some thoughts there. Uh, this is one of those areas where I think um, uh, people involved in the beverage industry, people involved in the cannabis industry, this is where their mind is often. I think uh, beverages from a defensive position, cannabis from an offensive position, but I think if you look at it, you're going to tell us, but when you look at it from a consumer perspective, they just look at it as um, not even one or the other, but both. And maybe at the same time, you're going to tell us. Um, Absolutely. Great. Let's get to it. Let's do it. All right. Um, so, yeah. So just chatting a little bit about the impact of cannabis on beverage and where those, Jay, to your point, where those threats and, and those opportunities lie. Uh, whether you are an alcohol company, a beverage company, or a cannabis company. Uh, as a bit of a reminder and then a little bit of a refresh, those of you who've watched these sessions have probably seen this quite often, but uh, you know, cannabis industry really is already on this growth trajectory like few other industries uh, that we've seen, at least in my lifetime. Uh, the BDSA is forecasting 47 billion market globally by 2025. Um, and that's just within the regulated cannabis space. So that's not even including hemp-based beverages sold in general retail in, in the U.S. as an example. 
Um, North America, of course, going to continue to dominate that world market for the foreseeable future. Uh, Canada, Canada alone be a six billion plus market by 2024. Um, U.S. growing into a 30 billion plus market. So those markets, whether it be the U.S. or Canada or globally, and that market growth equally, if not more importantly, you know, obviously enough to capture the attention of major industries. Um, alcohol, of course, which we're going to mostly talk about today. Um, but others as well, you know, CPG, over-the-counter, um, health and wellness, tobacco, um, all these industries are certainly paying attention to what's happening within cannabis and doing that threat versus opportunity assessment. Um, in addition to all of our many, many clients uh, and partners within the cannabis industry, we do also partner with those companies um, adjacent to the industry to pay attention to what's happening here in cannabis. Um, and again, where is that threat and where are those opportunities? Uh, so I thought we'd just kind of walk you through some of the analysis um, that we've done in the past. Um, another quick little recap and refresher, we've discussed this before also, but you know, cannabis is becoming more and more mainstream um, in the US and Canada as well. So these are Canadian numbers, uh, but the US numbers look very similar to these percentages. And over 35% of legally aged adults are consuming cannabis in Canada today. Um, and by the way, that definition, of course, as a reminder, means consumed at least once in the past six months. Um, the other really interesting, and especially when we talk about opportunity and or threats, is that about 30% of adults who fit into the acceptor bucket, um, and those are folks who are not currently consuming, but open to consuming in the future. Uh, we've been watching these numbers grow over the past three plus years. Uh, last two years alone, we've seen about a 10 point increase in this number for Canada. Um, so absolutely seeing um, impacts and increases. And as more and more consumers enter into this sort of cannabis consumption umbrella, that then increases the, uh, the potential impact on some of these existing industries. Uh, you compare this just as a little bit of context. Compare this to alcohol, and you see the numbers, depending on the state or province that you're looking at, uh, somewhere around 60 to 70, or 65% to 75% for consumers. So you compare that to the 35% of consumers um, in cannabis, and you can definitely see that there's a lot of room to grow uh, for the cannabis space. Um, another thing that's unique about cannabis, and I think we've talked about this, Jay, a few times before, uh, when you compare it to other industries, whether it be Beval or others, is there's such a wide range of need states and use cases and occasions for cannabis. Um, some that overlap with alcohol need states, some that overlap with maybe over-the-counter need states, some that overlap with completely other um, need states as well. So, you know, that multifaceted and multi-purposed utilization of cannabis really does play into some of the unique opportunities. Um, you're looking at everything from uh, vice to a medical use to, to really everything in between. Um, so, you know, we will take a look at that, uh, at those areas where cannabis is stealing share from alcohol. Um, and it is stealing share, is sort of the, to not to bury the lead, um, but in a very <laughs> nuanced way. Uh, so it's some consumers, some occasions, some formats, and some of the time. Um, some are more risky than others, um, and or more of an opportunity than others, sort of depending on the way you want to think about it. Uh, when we do talk about cannabis stealing share from alcohol, 
people tend to think about beverages first, about the cannabis beverage categories, the sort of that first substitution. Um, and there are, of course, some really exciting and inter interesting things happening in the beverage space, especially in Canada. Um, and between the long-term trends that we're watching in the U.S. and the emerging trends that we're watching in Canada in terms of behavior, preferences, and consumption, you know, the drivers uh, of trends that we're seeing within beverages include things like CBD, uh, low-dose and, low and sessionable products, uh, functional ingredients this is another really big one. So you think about you know, drinking tea um, in the afternoon to unwind, having cannabinoids as a functional ingredient to enhance that, uh, that impact of that experience, coffee in the morning to energize, same thing, cannabinoids to, uh, to enhance that experience. And then of course, let's not forget the functional ingredient that we're most well familiar with, THC, uh, to get that buzz. Uh, certainly. I won't forget. <laughs> Any of us, myself included, consider that to be a functional ingredient uh, when, we're, when we're thinking about our, our consumption there. Um, so we, of course, are seeing big players coming into the market here with beverages uh, based on that threat and that opportunity assessment. Uh, but it's also important to remember, and um, again, Jay, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, just in terms of the various categories, uh, but the beverage category is still relatively small when you think of it on its own uh, within cannabis, about 1% to 2% of the market in the U.S., similar but growing share uh, with early sales in Canada. Um, a few challenges that we see for the emerging beverage category, technology, cost per buzz, um, certainly can be cost prohibitive uh, when compared to not only the cost per alcohol buzz, uh, but actually cost per comparative cannabis buzz as well when you're looking at cannabis beverages. Uh, so that comes to a pretty important point, which is that the substitutions and the pairings uh, are not limited just to the beverage category when you talk about cannabis versus alcohol. Really important to consider and keep in mind edibles and inhalables um, are absolutely part of the substitution equation. Um, and as I said earlier, the very delete there, uh, legal cannabis is impacting DevAl. Um, and so we're going to take a little bit of a dive into where and how those impacts are happening. So when we look at the percentage of adults who consume cannabis um, and who also consume alcohol, um, kind of a, a few interesting things to look at here. So uh, this is looking at the U.S. data, uh, again, because we have a little bit more of a trend and a little bit more uh, history to be able to look at these behavioral impacts in the U.S. And so in the what we call level one states, which are the fully legal U.S. states, so Colorado, California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, uh, Michigan, am I missing? Massachusetts, et cetera. I might have missed one there as I, as I listed them off. Uh, but those fully legal states, when we think about cannabis consumers, 68% of cannabis consumers also consume alcohol. And on the flip side, 43% of alcohol consumers in those same states also consume cannabis. We are seeing that 43% or that percentage increase over time. So over the past about three years that we've been tracking this in the States, we've watched that percentage continue to increase. So of course, the more that percentage increases, uh, the more that impact uh, starts, to, starts to emerge within the alcohol industry. Again, still very small, uh, but drastically increasing off of that small base. So this long-term impact to alcohol is inevitable as more consumers are going to be continuing to consume. 
Um, and really interesting to think about um, you know, not just necessarily stealing an entire occasion, but also stealing a unit of consumption. So thinking about, you know, if you're out um, on a Friday night and you tend to drink five or six beers, uh, you know, are we, are we stealing the entire occasion, which would be those five or six beers and swapping it for a cannabis occasion? Or are we substituting um, and pairing some of those occasions where instead of two or, or five or six beers, you're having two or three beers um, and a few hits off of a big pen. Plus we're gonna kind of dig into and see um, where that trade-off occurs. Um, and, and it's not necessarily going to be consistent for all consumers all the time. Um, you know, there may, be, there may be some weeks and some occasions where one particular, um, let's say Friday night to unwind, could be beer one week, wine or spirits the next week, cannabis the week after that, so a bit of a trade-off. Um, again, so it's a bit messy, it's not necessarily a one-to-one trade-off when we're talking about what these impacts look like. That being said, when we ask those consumers that consume both alcohol and cannabis what the overlap looks like, a full 50% of them say that doesn't overlap at all. So they say that they consume cannabis and alcohol different days of the week for different occasions, for different need states, um, completely separate, so are not interfering with each other whatsoever. But half of those do overlap. Um, so this is where that risk comes uh, for Beval, uh, Beval. And I say a risk for Beval only because uh, it's been around as a quote unquote legal market uh, for much longer. And so it's in more of a protect our share mode while, while cannabis or legal cannabis anyways, is in a position to perhaps capture some share. Um, and that's especially true with new consumers. So we think about that 30% of acceptors um, and those new consumers who are coming into and, and working with and trying cannabis for the first time or perhaps relapsed after um, several years of, of not consuming. So for those 50% who say they sometimes overlap their consumption of cannabis and alcohol or that they sometimes always overlap, um, you wanna talk about that risk and benefit and where again are those specific areas um, where they're going to be seeing those overlaps. So we'll talk about pairing first. So among that 50% risk, uh, the first one that we wanna talk about again, as I mentioned, is alcohol pairing. So you think about this as not substituting the occasion, uh, but joining the two together. So the, the, uh, the example I like to use here is, you know, hanging in your backyard on a Friday after work, um, either with your significant other or with a couple friends, unwinding for the weekend, uh, with a craft beer, with, you know, a six pack of craft beers and a vape pen. Uh, perhaps before the vape pen was involved in that occasion, maybe you'd have three or, three or four beers in that occasion. Uh, but when pairing with a vape pen, perhaps that drops down to one or two or two or three beers. So alcohol didn't lose the occasion, but it did lose a unit or perhaps two units of consumption in that instance. So cannabis is replacing some of those units, consuming a little less alcohol um, and perhaps consuming a little bit more, um, more of a cannabis product. Uh, perhaps uh, a non-beverage cannabis product format is more likely to be involved in a pairing situation. Um, so pairing a beer and a vape pen um, or a beer and an edible in this type of situation. Another really interesting thing when we're talking about pairings 
is that pairings are most likely to be um, occurring within a small group or a solo situation or occasion. Um, so, you know, Netflix and chill date night with your partner. Um, or again, as I mentioned, hanging in the backyard either by yourself or in a small gathering. Um, incidentally, these pairing occasions look a lot more like cannabis occasions than, than they do like alcohol occasions. So alcohol tends to traditionally be better in large group settings, celebrations, you know, kind of energetic um, going out events. Um, so as we think about sort of these, the social consumption debate, um, and as I know, Ontario just got some, uh, I guess not, not entirely positive news on that front. Uh, so this is perhaps going to, gonna be an impetus to see this trend continue in place as it is, um, as far as being more of a risk for solo or small group occasions here. When we talk about substitutions, again, for now, those larger group and more social occasions are safer for alcohol. Um, and when I say safer, I don't mean safer as in physically safer. Um, I mean safer as in safer, safer for the volume of alcohol being consumed. Um, so not yet seeing a lot of stolen share from those, those large, uh, large group gatherings or, or high energy events. Uh, so it's kind of interesting when we think about the substitutions to so kind of pull it again into those sort of those three phases. So what's safe for alcohol, what's safe for cannabis, and then where's that in between where you might switch back and forth and perhaps substitute cannabis and alcohol interchangeably. Um, again, the safe occasions uh, for alcohol, bar nights, date nights, you know, dinner and drinking, or excuse me, dinner and dancing um, and drinking, special events, very, very large formats, high energy events. Cannabis specific occasions that are not yet overlapping and likely will never, frankly, overlap with alcohol. These are the safe for cannabis spaces. Uh, creative, motivated, health and wellness oriented, functional, uh, you know, morning consumption uh, for uh, before, a, before a long run, um, at work consumption to help focus. Those types of locations are uh, very safe for the, the cannabis consumption. Then we get to those in-betweens, um, and these are the ones that are really that risk versus opportunity. Um, and they're all about, so social occasions, but all about relaxing and unwinding. Um, and again, those, uh, those smaller group settings. So the unwind time is, is that, man, I'm after a long day of work, I'm taking care of the kids, um, and or just managing my day. Um, this is where these sort of Chardonnay moms become the cannabis moms. Uh, right, so instead of having a single glass of wine at the end of the day, having a cannabis edible or perhaps a cannabis beverage um, in place of that, uh, that glass of wine. The other one that we see as a very high risk for substitutions is daytime fun. This is Sunday fun day. You know, this is you and a small group of friends hanging out, maybe out by the lake, having a backyard barbecue, smaller group setting again, all about fun. Fun and friends, um, and perhaps uh, substituting cannabis for, for an alcohol occasion in that, in that instance. And then the third one that we see uh, very, very often being impact, um, as reported by our consumers, is the just hanging out. Um, and again, this is that, that barbecue, that happy hour. Um, I don't know about you, Jay, but we've been doing a lot of backyard, socially distanced happy hours uh, this summer. Um, and these are occasions where instead of a cold beer, perhaps you're having a cold cannabis beverage. Um, 
or a uh, or a, an edible uh, or something like that. Yes, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, and what we see really interesting, especially with the just hanging out, is this is a space where craft beer in particular plays very strongly uh, within this particular use case or need state. Um, so we can see that cannabis could challenge that, that craft beer space. Um, about 40% of, of, of consumers um, in this space are indicating that these just hanging out moments are also a cannabis occasion. So how does this all actually impact cannabis, or excuse me, cannabis and or alcohol consumption? Um, and this is all self-reported, um, so we're not, we're not necessarily measuring behavior, we're asking consumers to measure their behavior. Um, but what we're seeing so far is that a majority of consumers um, are not changing their alcohol consumption as, as far as self-reported uh, because of their cannabis consumption. So those overlapping instances and situations that we chatted through, thus far the majority of consumers are saying, yeah, I'm still having those, those instances, I'm still swapping back and forth, but overall my alcohol consumption is not necessarily changing. Uh, but some are drinking less. And again, as we watch the group of consumers grow, so as we grow the pie for cannabis altogether, um, and also perhaps as these, uh, as these behaviors continue to modify, we may see um, two things in influencing um, this overall consumption of these alcohol categories. One being more consumers falling into these buckets, um, and then the other being perhaps an increased influence on that increase or decrease. Um, to that point, also important to point out that we do see some consumers reporting that they're actually increasing their alcohol consumption um, as a result of their cannabis or their marijuana use. This is primarily, if you dig into this, this um, is, has a lot to do with younger consumers um, and those consumers that are aging into legal cannabis and legal alcohol. So whether that be 21 plus in the US or 18 or 19 um, up in Canada, those younger, that Gen Z generation, um, which quite frankly is fascinating. You know, that is the, the first group of people who are aging into a world where both cannabis and alcohol are legal, um, essentially from the onset. So we are gonna be paying very, very close attention to this group of, uh, of consumers over the next few years to watch how their behavior is different from those like me um, and like others who did not age into um, a world where cannabis was legal and aged into essentially an alcohol legal world first. Um, certainly going to be influ influencing decisions and trends and the questions will be very, very interesting to see where that goes. Uh, so ultimately trying to understand how that impacts consumption altogether. Uh, so as mentioned before, you know, IRI, strategic partner of ours, um, we actually coded the IRI shopper panel, which is a US-based panel um, that tracks household purchases across all channels, so all household purchases. Um, we tracked, or we, we coded that panel with cannabis versus non-cannabis consumers and cannabis versus non-cannabis households. And so what we saw is really interesting when we're actually looking at alcohol purchase behavior across that panel um, and what they're buying. And so we're seeing that uh, with cannabis consumers, the, this is household penetration, excuse me, penetration on that first column there. 
So the actual number of households purchasing both beer and liquor spirits is going up. Uh, but looking at liquor spirits first, you can see where the impacts can potentially start to be measured is in the dollars per, per buyer, the dollars per trip, and the number of trips per buyer, which are all going down in correlation to, uh, to that cannabis consumption. Beer, uh, which also makes sense as it is more conducive potentially uh, to pairing instances, uh, sees a little bit more protection, a little bit more insulation um, in some of those metrics. Um, so definitely seeing, uh, seeing these, same uh, these same trends and we could do the same analysis for other industries as well. You know, we're talking about alcohol uh, today, but we could look at this for over-the-counter. We could look at this for health and beverage. We could look at this, you know, truthfully for some other functional beverages and uh, adjustable categories uh, to see some of these similar, uh, to see some of these similar trends. Uh, so really definitely going to see this penetration for alcohol um, continuing to be much, much larger, larger than cannabis in the long term. Uh, but definitely want to pay attention to where those opportunities arise for, uh, for the cannabis space to continue to capitalize on these occasions and on these opportunities within the pairing and or substitutions to increase that, that share of buzz, if you will, um, and, and really uh, blend more into, more and more into our consumers' uh, different need states and occasions within the alcohol uh, within the alcohol substitution space. And then of course, uh, you can't really ignore the non-THC cannabinoid space when we talk about opportunities, uh, especially when we're talking about beverages. Now this opens up a whole new set of occasions and use cases that are outside or in that safe space that we talked about a little bit earlier, um, apart from the space that alcohol inhabits. Um, so in the U.S., obviously the availability of these products within general retail, these hemp-based CBD products, um, and, and new cannabinoids as well. So CBD, of course, being the first, the first that we're really tracking in great volume, but certainly expect to see other, other cannabinoids start to inhibit or inhabit, excuse me, this, uh, this functional beverage space. Uh, already seeing over 170% growth in the non-cannabis retail or non-dispensary channels uh, tracked through by IRI, um, primarily right now driven by the convenience store channel, um, specialty store, specialty food store channels, channels such as that, uh, while the grocery and, and mass channels are, are starting to come on a little bit slower um, just due to some of those FDA regulations that we're still working through in the U.S. Uh, but when you include both of those together, uh, both the THC-based, so sort of alcohol adjacent or, or potentially alcohol sub sub substitution and pairing events as well, or products as well as those um, non-THC products and general retail products. Now, now we're up to a $45 billion market in the U.S. alone uh, by 2024. Um, so clearly seeing a huge opportunity um, within uh, within that space um, and definitely continuing to see the cannabis space disrupt other consumer package and consumer based industries. Um, we'll continue to watch this, this play out. Um, and again, we hear a lot about the threat of cannabis to alcohol, the threat of alcohol to cannabis, vice versa. Um, I think there is also a way to think of this as quite a big opportunity. 
Um, you know, it's clear that from a consumer standpoint, um, I know focus group of one, uh, I'm not sure about you, Jay, but I certainly enjoy consuming cannabis and alcohol together. Uh, a beer and a, and a joint is one of my favorite ways to unwind personally. Uh, so thinking about working together and creating these enhanced experiences for the consumer uh, that plays off of these pairing opportunities. Um, in my opinion, when the consumer wins, um, all of the industries win as well. So I think there, there's certainly a lot of opportunity to be tapped into here. I would rather be an executive around a cannabis company table looking at opportunity than a beverage alcohol executive round table looking at threat. I mean, that, that's the way I would sort of think about it. But also I, it, it brings to mind so many different, and I always look at the opportunities because we, we are more or less sitting around a cannabis table, right? If I am a venue, a concert venue, right? Like you think about those substitution, but the actual the things you're talking about where people do either substitute or pair, it's perfect, right? And if I am, I mean, it also, everything you just said underscores why beverage companies like Constellation Brands make major investments Absolutely. in cannabis companies because while it seems small, 3% of people stopped drinking. So that was pretty consistent, right? And 10 plus percent drank less, right? Like, sure, on the, on the chart, those are some of the smallest numbers, but if that is my core business, that's, that's a huge hit. Um, well, and more so, to, to your point, more so as more consumers start to, to consume cannabis. So, you know, 10% of 35%, not such a big number. 10% of 75% becomes quite a significant number. <laughs> well, that, but, but also wait till, wait till some of those people that are, uh, uh, consume alcohol, but haven't also started consuming cannabis yet, wait till they realize there's no hangover. They're going to really be shocked. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, no, I mean, it, there really is. And again, we, it, it strikes me every time we talk that uh, where we are in Canada versus where sort of your data is coming from is we're so early days, like all of those things are ahead of us in many respects, right? I mean, certainly not necessarily the people that are using or not using or receptors or like all those things are there, but the market opportunity to capitalize on that, to um, you know, all those things really are in front of us as opposed to behind us. And to me, that's just super exciting. But doing it thoughtfully is really where we all need to be. Yeah, it's where we, we really feel lucky to be able to see um, and track the trends in the market in, in both industries because there's a lot to be learned on both sides of the border. Um, there are plenty of things that we use Canada to, to help illuminate trends for our U.S. clients and vice versa. Um, and again, as we've talked before, state by state, uh, province by province, you do start to see those, those similarities and those differences. And it's just, it's real fun. Um, we feel very lucky to be able to watch all that unfold in real time. Me, me too. And uh, we just, um, we have an interview coming up this week with a CEO of a publicly traded cannabis company. And again, like the opportunity they're looking at is ahead, right? It's, it's really, you know, if this was all sort of the how to make it work, couple of years. The next is like how to actually uh, not only create a brand, but create product people want, build the brand, build the opportunity, own some slice of that and just go after it. And, and what we, it, it's similar to sort of how we talked about gummies and edibles, how we talk about beverages, how we talk about CBD only drinks and how we talk about all of these things. It's like, it's really, it's the road ahead, not necessarily the road behind. And, and to me, that's like super exciting, which is why I like these Wednesday touch bases with you. Absolutely. Well, it's always a pleasure day. Well, now that I know a little bit about sort of your personal consumption habits, I really look forward to hanging out in person. Absolutely.
Absolutely. We'll get some music involved too, and we'll have the trifecta. It's going to be great. Liz, thanks uh, as always for the Wednesday checkpoint, and uh, we'll touch base with you soon. Thank you. You too. Okay, thanks, Liz.